0: In light of our recent Protein Token launch, we're moving into the world of Web3 and speaking to the people who are putting communities first in order to manifest a more equitable and decentralized future. Opening our Season 5, we have Cooper Turley, who's been actively shaping the creator economy since 2019 through DAOs like Friends with Benefits and our very own Protein Community. He's an investor in Variant Fund, advisor in Audius, and will be probably involved in that super cool project no one has heard of yet. This was recorded live in the Protein Discord, so excuse the audio quality. And make sure you follow our Twitter and Insta so you can be part of the next show. Okay, how are we all doing? Welcome everyone to uh, Stories of Growth. Um, this is a new format, a new live format. Uh, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Um, and just wanted to welcome uh, Cooper Turley, aka the Cooper Trooper. Um, Cooper, welcome, mate.
1: Hey, good to be here, man. How are we feeling?
0: Yeah, really good, man. Thanks, uh, thanks for taking the time for this. Um, I think just Sorry. in terms of setting this up for uh, for the people who've joined, um, this is something we've been running now for a couple of years. This uh, this podcast, and um, yeah, just really trying to understand the stories behind some of the people who are making moves in this world. Um, And so with that, I'm really excited to have Cooper Turley uh, with us to kick off uh, season five of the podcast. If you've got any specific questions, ask them for Cooper, uh, any questions for Cooper. um, Ask them in the stories questions channel and I will do my very best to ask them. Uh, And for anything else, head to the stories chat uh, for the back channel memes and vibes. So just to really frame... Uh, the conversation today, and you know why we are—you know why we call this podcast "the, the Stories of Growth." Uh, over the last five weeks, our seventy or so founder members have been collaboratively reimagining, you know, what growth means, um, and specifically through a Web three lens, which I'm hope we're going to have some good discussion uh, today. Um, and if you're interested to find out more, um, check out our mirror page. Uh, it's tracking all of our journeys. We're building in the open as we go. And if you do want to be part of our our mission and and apply to join Season 1, please do. We're going to be opening it up in a couple of weeks. So, Cooper, let's do this, man. Um, uh, Let's start with an intro. Uh, For those who might not know who you are, um, just what are you most, uh, you know, what are you known for? Let's start with that, man.
1: Okay. Hey guys, my name's Cooper. I am known for building communities. I've been working in this space for about five years now. You know, came out of college with a music business degree, so I was always in a very creative space. I'm very educated on sort of crypto and Web3 through just trial and error. You know, doing a lot of trading, doing a lot of community building, doing a lot of writing. And uh, these days I kind of sit at the intersection of culture and crypto. I work with a lot of online communities to create tokens and I work with teams to go from zero to one to launching internet native crypto companies.
0: Yeah, amazing. And maybe just uh, name check a few of those communities just to put some context uh, on, uh, you know, some of the projects you've been working on.
1: Absolutely. So the one that I think is most relevant to this conversation is a DAO called Friends with Benefits. This is a culture crypto community that we started about a year ago. I do a lot of work with the Audius Project, is a decentralized music streaming platform, do a lot of investing in tandem with the Variant Fund, and then just very active across a bunch of different DAOs and projects. So um, helped launch the SuperA token not too long ago. Helped launch the Gitcoin token not too long ago. Very active across DAOs like Forefront, Seed Club, Bankless DAO, member of Pleaser DAO, Fingerprints. You know, the list goes on and on. I do a lot of advisory for wonderful projects, including the beautiful protein community here. And my goal is to really just help get in the weeds on anyone and everyone that's trying to do cool Web3 experiments and try and help move that ball forward in any way that I can.
0: I mean, are there any DAOs that you're not involved with?
1: Yeah, it's, it's getting too hard to keep up with, man. You know, for a while I had them all on my radar, but I think, uh, you know, this growth is too barabolic. It's too hard to keep.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. And again, I think just for context, um, we're trying to keep this sort of, uh, you know, language as accessible as possible. So maybe you could just open with a bit of an introduction to what a DAO is. Um, and I think, you know, swiftly following that, why you feel it's so important about how and where things are evolving.
1: Yeah, so I like to think of DAOs as internet communities with a shared bank account. I think that these are very important because for the first time ever, we now have assets which represent ownership in social communities. And so we're all in group chats. We've all spent time online, either in video games or sports teams or whatever it might be, just sort of collaborating with our friends. But I think for a while there is very difficult to go beyond it having a social component to it. So what I'm really excited about for DAOs is this notion of ownership. So being able to have assets that represent upside in the group and transparency. So as people come and join that group, then being able to participate in governance and be able to use those assets to make cool decisions, I think it's a really big unlock we haven't really seen before. In terms of the way that DAOs operate, you know, they all kind of have the same ethos underneath them of we're all going to win together. But mechanically, how they operate, I think that every DAO kind of has a different mission and a focus. And so for me, it's been very fun to use this wider topic and this wider umbrella of governance to help enact meaningful change and to use capital that's being held in that treasury to go and do really, really cool stuff.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. And I mean, fast forwarding, maybe even just a handful of years, and I know crypto timeframes, uh, you know, are pretty fast. But is there a case that, you know, we could DAO the world, so to speak?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that right now DAOs are in very much a novelty phase. You know, starting a DAO is a very cool and edgy thing to do. If you're starting a DAO, it's very obvious that you're deep in crypto, it kind of has this nice little twist to it, where people know that you're experimenting on the edges. But I think over a couple of years, these formats are going to become more standardized. And what I think is going to happen is in the same way that starting an LLC is something that everyone just does. If you're a founder, I think everyone will just start a DAO by default. You know, relatively speaking in wider social circles, if you're starting an LLC, you're still kind of on the, the riskier side of the spectrum, you know, playing the startup game. And I kind of see DAOs being the next evolution of that, where you're now playing the startup game, but you're doing it in this new Web3 world. And I think DAOs are just the way that we sort of house that and make those reality, those experiences reality.
0: Yeah, and you're you're definitely on point in terms of you know this is pioneer time, right? We're right at the beginning, the forefront of this Web three. Uh, you know, re- is it a revolution? I mean, <laughs> it sort of really depends and defines sort of where where, where you sit. But I, I think sort of maybe bringing it back to you know the more practical applications um, of how a DAO would work just for I guess just just for for context, um, maybe just dig into a little bit on I mean any any one of the DAOs and maybe FWB is the best example, yeah you know, how that sort of practically day to day you know works um, just in terms of the governance etc. Just again I'm just sort of setting a scene for those who might not know or understand what this new terminology or this new Web3 world actually looks
1: like? Yeah, sure. So I think the biggest thing to call out is this idea of a community treasury. You know, this is kind of the central point of focus for each and every DAO. So typically a DAO will have one address that's transparent on chain that is holding the vast majority of funds that's raised by that group. But To give an example, when I started out, it might be me and three friends who all have $100 and we put that into a community treasury together. And if we want to go out and do something with that money we use governance or the idea of token voting to be able to decide what to do with that and so in the case of Adalic friends with benefits we'll have a community treasury that sits at the center of things there are about 1500 people around the edges that all have the ability to vote on what to do with that and key contributors in that community are making proposals which allow them to go ahead and spend those funds so a lot of what i do is work with people who are creating those proposals to really get their ideas very clear and concise help them propose that to the community for an open conversation and once there's been some soft signal about a proposal being a good idea, you put that up to a vote on a governance platform like Snapshot. This allows you to use your tokens, which represent ownership in that community to vote yes or no on whatever that proposal might be. And In the event that it passes, those funds are then able to be distributed from that community treasury to go and enact whatever that proposal actually had in store. So once you actually pass the proposal, typically those those funds will go from the main community treasury to the person who's actually responsible for doing that proposal. then that person who proposed it will typically oversee a small working group to actually bring those ideas to life. And you kind of just have a a rinse and repeat process. You know, proposals can be anything from a grants program to give people money to paying people for contributing full and part-time. You know, I'm very excited to say that Friends Benefits now has about 30 people that are all being paid directly out of the DAO, either full or part-time. You know, and I think that these are just some of the ways that it starts to resemble an LLC. When you look under the hood, you start to recognize that this process of a proposal going through a community vote, having open and public conversation, it feels much different from a traditional startup because there's a lot more community buy-in there. And I like to say that when community is building products together, there's a lot more influence and there's a lot more buy-in to what everyone is doing because everyone feels like they're a core contributor to that conversation rather than traditionally what we see today. A company will launch a product or a service, basically put it on the users, the users will consume it, but they won't really feel a sense of ownership because they didn't really have a stake in that conversation. And so DAOs are really just the way to house those conversations and the community treasury is kind of the core component in which these ideas are funded.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. And yeah, thanks for that very articulate uh, definition, um, because certainly we are, we're seeing even within our own community with new members coming in, you know, language is a big barrier here. And uh, we are really helping to understand actually what the mechanics of what these tools and these functions and these ut- utilities mean is is ultimately... A fundamental in it becoming uh, you know mass adopted um, and uh, you know really sort of changing the world um, I mean let's move on that in terms of and, and let's keep with the FWB um, I guess sort of, uh, sort of example because um, you know they've done a big raise recently and I guess sort of the question here is is one of what does the, like a DAO at scale start to look like and uh, are there frictions you know are there yeah. Are there concerns? Are there sort of, you know, the the, the internal mechanics of how a DAO scales? Um, and, you know, I know you're inside it. Uh, so it'd be really g- good to just to share some of your experience about what that looks like.
1: No friction. Running a DAO is the best thing in the world. It's super, super <laughs> smooth. Definitely no, uh, no painful process with governance. No, I think that um running a DAO has an incredible amount of friction. And the reality is that the larger you get, the more friction there is going to be. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've really seen any group be able to operate on full scale yet. And so what we're seeing now is these these experimentations where the larger group goes, you know, the more people are taking on key ownership roles and the more rest on their shoulders, despite the fact that everyone's sitting behind a screen like this on Discord and working full time. And so it's a very exciting premise to be able to work fully remotely, to work, you know, through Discord servers like this and to have your task really rests on your own shoulders. Mm -hmm. I think what this starts to look like as it scales is a core contributing team. So let's call it five to 10 people who are sitting at the very center, kind of being the ones overseeing everything that's happening. And then a population of these smaller working groups or sub DAOs. And so what you see in FWB is we have core contributors who are now on a full-time salary. A lot of the time those core contributors will be leading a team. So for example, a product team, editorial team, newsletter, events, city DAOs, treasury management, you know, et cetera, et cetera, the list goes on. And typically what you see is one key owner of that working group who's sort of responsible for the day-to-day operations. And then the ability for other members of the DAO to join in an ad hoc manner relative to their skills that they have. If I can come into a group and I only have, let's call it three hours a week, you know, I can hop into the product lobby and see if there's anything that I can contribute to. Mm -hmm. If I only have a couple hours a week to write, I can hop into the newsletter channel and write a little article or something. But basically the way that, you know, this works is that I think that, At at the start, there's going to be just one giant group. It's just an amorphous blob that's kind of doing anything and everything. I think as things get a little bit bigger, you start to more clearly define what those subsections are and start to assign key owners to them. And from there, you start to notice that things get a little bit more formal. You know, everyone will kind of roll up to one larger group weekly conversation. But for the most part, these uh, different teams are operating autonomously of one another and i think it's really up to those key contributors to connect the dots among people to make sure that all of that work that's being done is actually being communicated and shared with the members of the group so that all of this work does not go unnoticed and can instead be consumed and enjoyed by the members
0: yeah no 100% and like full respect to how the uh, you know the transparency and the communication of FWB has been uh, and you know i'm i'm part of the community as well just to see it evolve and grow but more importantly the, the, the sharing that uh, you know, accompanies that in terms of the process, the docs, the, I mean, everything it's been. Yeah. I mean, it's phenomenal in short. So yeah, for anybody who hasn't um, seen or uh, know about friends of benefit um, definitely check it out. FWB.help uh, a lot of really interesting folks in there. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, as Cooper said, really defining new territory in terms of how these, uh, you know, how DAOs are, are being defined and, and how they're growing. Um and I, I guess sort of moving that on in terms of uh, accessibility, which I know is a big part of the FWB sort of season, current season. Um, where, where, do, where, where, do you, where do you sit with that? Because um, again, for everybody's context, uh, you, you need to own 75 FWB tokens uh, to access the uh, community. The original price for that was pegged, you know, around to be $20. Um, that's now closer to something like $1,400. Um, uh, and so, so Cooper, where, where, do you, where do you sit with that in terms of being able to, you know, still provide utility, still provide, uh, you know, true value, uh, but really the, the, the tokenomics or the value of the token is really dictating that accessibility?
1: Yeah, it's the big topic. I would say that from a high level, the value of the community is directly reflected in its token price. So a higher token price typically means that the community members are very excited and happy about the value being created there so i think objectively it's a very good signal it's a great problem to have and i think it's something that i'm excited to work through i think more mechanically you know obviously not everyone's going to have that much money to be able to join so the school of thought becomes either a lowering the to entry or b creating more value for the community we've sort of opted into the latter trying to do anything and everything to make that buy-in price as you know attractive and as accessible as possible and then created programs around it to make it easier for people who don't have that capital to be able to earn their way in I would say, you know, having seen this go from 0 to 100, it was really fascinating to watch the rate at which that token price increased relative to how much people were contributing to the group. I think what I noticed is the higher that the token price became and the higher that the barrier to entry became, the more that people were willing to contribute because they realized they had a standard that they needed to uphold. Mm. So I think that for communities here, it's okay to have a really high barrier to entry, but I think it's only okay if you create that value over a very long time horizon. You know, I think having a really high barrier to entry on day one feels very alienating to me, but slowly working your way up to that higher barrier to entry through consistent seasons, through consistent growth. You know, As you mentioned in your comment there, FWV was $20 to join for at least two to three months at the beginning. You know, That slowly crept up to about 100 or $200, but there was definitely a period of about six to eight months when we had very, very low barriers to entry. And I think that that was great because it allowed the community to come and self-organize, it allowed the core contributors to identify themselves, and you really got to see who was there firsthand. And so I honestly don't think we've seen a DAO that operates like fully at scale. I think the biggest realization for us was that f is not meant to be a group that has a million members in a Discord server. If we can have 10,000 highly active, highly aligned members that are all working in different sub DAOs together, I think that model is very, very productive. And so we've been thinking through a lot, you know, how do we better engage contributors, how do we put out funnels so that people can come and do meaningful work? And I think the more directive we get in those conversations, the easier it's gonna to be to earn substantial amount of tokens far above and beyond that 75 entry price. Mm. I think that that in combination with grants programs and onboarding tools like fellowships to help those who might not be able to have the financial capabilities but have the time and effort to put in, I think that's the way that we start to address that ex- exclusivity question in a very meaningful way.
0: Yeah, and that was my next one because that certainly is uh, you know a big barrier in all senses of the word in terms of access to these communities to these DAOs, both in price point, but also just in terms of socio economic, um, you know, gender, uh, you know, positions. And uh, yeah, again, like, w- w- do you have a view on how best to? Uh, I guess sort of, it's not even democratize that, but really sort of open that up and, and level that playing field. And this isn't just to FWB. I think this is applicable to the entire sort of Web3 uh, you know, sector. Um, yeah, it'd be good to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, so speaking off the cuff, I think that it's less about trying to really democratize access to one given community like FWB and more about growing the wider ecosystem around it. So there's awesome channels and communities like this one, there are communities like Forefront, and there's other places where you can come and join for free. I don't think that it's every community's responsibility to have a free-to-play tier associated with it, but I think that there is a world in which we find combinations that kind of get towards that. So for this season in FWB, we just started FWB Local. This allows anyone who holds five tokens to join a local city DAO to come to all of our digital and our physical events. And so we believe one-on-one relationships are what make that group so special. So rather than requiring you to have 75 tokens to meet the cool people that are in it, we wanted to really focus on these sub-DAO city chapters and allow people to self-organize around that. So we have a LA chapter, a New York chapter, and a London chapter. And I believe that these are the three cities that we're starting out with. All of those chapters have a leader, as I mentioned before. So a team lead who's kind of overseeing that region. And they needed a budget on a monthly basis to host meetups, to do events, to go and do cool stuff IRL. And I think through that, you're going to notice that people are going to be able to feel the special aspects of for a much lower price point of five tokens, mind you is still an expensive decision, but I think that that's a little bit more easy to wrap your head around than 75. And I think the biggest unlock that's really worth doubling down on, you are not paying a sunk cost to join these communities. When you're buying five tokens, when you're buying 75 tokens, you are buying ownership stake in this community, but you are free to come and go, however for you please. Mm-hmm. If you step in and you don't think that this community is valuable if you don't think the people that are there are valuable, you can go ahead and get your money back. You know, no problems, no questions asked. And I think that that fluid entry and exit allows for there to be a really meaningful flow of membership. I think the reason why you've seen that the token price has gotten to the price that it is today is because members are valuing that membership so highly that they would rather hold 75 tokens rather than hold $1500 and a, or $15,000, excuse me. And I think that that's a really, really powerful thesis in and of itself.
0: Yeah, and that is the fundamental difference between the Web two world of Substack subscriptions, Patreon, you know, paid uh, paywall content uh, to Web three, which is token holders providing access to Discords events and everything else. But equally, that has a value and a you know a tangible uh, you know asset in its own right that can, as you say, be i mean returned aka (laughs) sold um if you want out um or you know you want to move on so yeah it's it's fascinating um moving on from fwb just looking at the wider you know web3 world uh, maybe just touch on a couple of interesting developments or areas or futures that you're most excited about at the moment
1: I think that what's happening with these NFT profile picture collections is objectively really interesting to me. You know, I've never seen something that has so much demand from new users and feels as fun and playful as what we're seeing right now. So obviously there's a lot of speculation occurring, but I do love this idea of joining digital communities, having digital online identity, be able to make money off of culture. I think that all of these primitives are very fascinating. I think this uh, wider notion of being able to start as many DAOs as possible is a really meaningful experiment. You know, I think that there's still so many unanswered questions around onboarding. There's so many unanswered questions around how to get started with this technology and how to join these communities that I'm actually more excited about doing really small, um, fun experiments with a couple of friends just to kind of poke around the edges than I am by trying to advance you know, these larger products that have billions of dollars of capital. I think that there's got to be kind of a balancing act where there are really smart people in the world that are building the infrastructure that will power this industry for the next hundred plus years. I think my role and where I'm sitting now is kind of at the surface level, giving the assumption that we are going to figure out the tech layer and then working directly with communities and cultural influences to be able to help drive this space in a meaningful way. What I mean by that is setting up more pockets for conversation like this, setting up places for humans to come and meet one another online, building products and services that feel more social than financial and trying to do anything and everything to just really advance the fact that crypto is not only about finance it's not only about speculation i think that it's a way for us to have better trust among the relationships that we have online so anything that i can do to help inform those conversations and create more pockets for people to discover one another i think that's all directionally an area that i want to spend my time on
0: yeah no yeah plus a thousand on that cooper and i think for us is a is a core uh, you know is a core part of our mission for good growth uh, and really using this technology to enable conversations in a way that haven't been previously you know possible and I think with any good technology it's it's not what you can do with it it's of how it can improve my day or how it can improve my community or how it can improve you know the world around us Um, so I think that to me uh, ultimately is driving a lot of the the passion, um, well, obsession, <laughs> even um, within this world, and yeah, I mean, again, it's it's fascinating to see what what's going on uh, and and how fast it's moving, and ultimately, what impact it will hopefully you know generate. Um, and on that, uh, I guess it's sort of more about the the impact um, question, uh, and you know our definitions of good growth and around sustainability and and i think you're entirely right every dao has their own mission and, and their own outlook but how would you sort of put a definition to good growth or, or sustainable growth you know through through a web3 lens
1: i'd really focus on word of mouth expansion you know i think that when people started dao the most obvious answer is to try and get as many people involved as possible but i think the way in which you do this is extremely important so rather than trying to drop 10,000 people into a server at once, really doubling down on those individual relationships, empowering batches of members to onward in a very slow and meaningful way, You know, working with new members to make them feel like they're welcomed into the community. I think Good Growth to me is basically the intention to make sure that every member in that community feels very welcome. They feel like they have a good conception of what's happening and they feel like they have a voice in those conversations. When it comes to things like governance, allowing there to be clear templates in place to follow for people who do have a good idea, allowing there for there to be people that are available to help others craft those proposals when they do want to execute on those ideas, and then just having transparency. So doing things like town halls once a week, once every other week, you know, creating spaces for people to come and hear about the major things that are being worked on, having written content for those who don't have a bunch of time to keep up with everything, making sure that all of the most exciting things are being brought front and center on a very recurring basis. I think those are all directionally kind of in the the area of good growth. And more specifically, I'll just really hone on the fact that it can be very challenging to navigate something like this discord. I mean, you scroll on the left side there and there's 50 different channels. Most people are in many, many different servers. There's a notification button going off every single second, if you don't know to turn it off. So it's a very uh, jarring experience at first. And so to me, when I think of good growth, I think about how do you boil down where the core value is here? How do you make sure that people are paying attention and watching the proper pockets for themselves so that as they do have time to allocate, they can get really meaningfully involved and they can go from being a speculator or someone who's on the edges to becoming a core contributor of these communities.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. And yeah, that is exactly what we're sort of prioritizing and prioritizing in our preseason is is that education piece because it is, you know, it's daunting. Um, you know, it's a whole new world of acronyms and, uh, you know, behaviors that. It is foreign to people who don't understand it haven't been here before um and I think you know that is as I mentioned earlier it's a it's a big obstacle for the accessibility but I think also well, once that is uh, overcome or there's new layers or there's new routes and I think it's also not all about the discord to your point and the importance of the IRL you know we have a space here in Shoreditch which hosts events you know which has a workspace that people can come and hang out so, I, it it's definitely uh, you know it, it isn't it, it it isn't binary in terms of the you know the status of of your involvement and um, you know I, I can only see that in, that increase as we go. Um, moving on yeah. to I guess sort of the other big question when it comes to DAOs and the Web three and it'd be great to get your thoughts on you know the role of brands uh, in the Web three world.
1: I think that brands are now being forced to be very collaborative in the way that they interact with the people that they're targeting. So what I mean by this is rather than releasing products that are being consumed in a one-directional manner, brands are having to rethink what it means for those consumers to be able to have ownership stakes in those communities. So from a high level, what this looks like is sort of an MVP or an advanced version of a sponsorship where people are able to consume the products for free and be able to give feedback on them. I think that brands are going to need to start working more closely with these members to make them feel like they actually care about what's being released. So rather than buying some chocolate bar, trying on perfume, or whatever we might think about when we think about interacting with brands. I think that having transparency around why these products are being released in the way they are, you know, giving visibility into what happened under the hood for these decisions on what's being released next, and then giving those community owners opportunities there earn ownership stakes in these communities. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that brands are no different from the online communities like this one that we're in right now. I think the only difference is that for a very long time, brands' central core focus was profit i think instead what they should be focusing on now is community and allowing people who do add value to a brand to be able to earn ownership stake and what that looks like is setting up a channel like this having ongoing conversations with people who are most active in those engagements and in those programs and activations and actually allocating meaningful stake in those conversations that are happening i think this is much bigger than just giving someone free loot every now and then dropping them a t-shirt dropping them you know a box of of goodies or whatnot I think that brands really need to think about what is a tokenized representation of themselves look like and how can I be more fluid in giving those to the people who are spending time on my product or service? Because those people are going to be the ones who are really championing and, ambas- and becoming ambassadors of that of that initiative. And the more that you want them to engage, I think the more intention there needs to be around being able to provide ownership to those individuals.
0: Yeah, no, I fully subscribe. And it's something that we advocate for in any of the work that we do through our, our agency business, working with brands is sort of it's a, it's community first. You know there are good challenges here in terms of you know brands who even a accept that uh, philosophy but b are in a power in a position to empower you know their community uh you know w- with that status and you know there are some great examples out there who brands who do have that progressive forward-looking you know, i guess sort of mindset and approach um but yeah i think it's it's going to be again similarly fascinating to see how, where, and when sort of brands show up, uh, because I know they're sort of they're tracking it, uh, but yeah, you know, it's just really finding the right role for it because uh, it's it's democratized, it's decentralized, and that ultimately goes against pretty much every single brand or certainly big brand um, you know that, that's out in the marketplace. Um, I uh, just want to sort of, I guess, sort of switch it around or switch it, switch it over, um, and bring it uh, maybe l- less on the on the on your professional uh, story and your professional journey so far, and you know come back to sort of more of a a younger Cooper. Um, you're you're pretty young already though, Cooper. Like, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Twenty six years young.
0: <laughs> there we go. Amazing. Um, And maybe just talk about early Cooper in terms of, you know, school, college, uh, you know, what what was it? What was sort of the, I guess, sort of the, the, the tech influence, the code influence, you know, I'm just trying to sort of navigate how you, how, how you arrived to into this Web3 world.
1: Yeah, so I'll piece together. I've always been very competitive. I played sports my whole life growing up. Um, I was really, really into video games in high school and middle school. And so I always like to combine this notion of playing with friends with some sort of end state and objective to win something. And so when I started to see uh, video games becoming more of a standard, I got really obsessed with this. I was playing with a lot of friends all the time. I was playing a lot of RuneScape very, very early on. I got very big into music discovery, where I was spending a lot of time on platforms like SoundCloud, finding artists very early on. I was doing a lot of uh, entrepreneurial activities like selling Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards on eBay. And so I would go out and find collections that people had from their childhood that they were selling in mass. I'd buy those at wholesale and then I would go ahead and list the individual cards, one against another. And I think through this process, I started to realize that I really loved internet culture. I really loved the ability to invest directly in communities and in different assets that represented sort of values that I knew and loved. And when I went into college, I sort of got deeper down the music rabbit hole um, and it was kind of through this process that I was starting to make a lot of friends online. I was going to a lot of shows. But to more directly answer your question about the intersection of the two, you know, I feel like I've always just been very up to date with trends that are happening really anywhere that that matters. And so when I started to see that there was opportunities to make a living on the back of working online, I think that it all became pretty natural to me. You know, I've never had a traditional nine to five job. I've always worked freelancer and gig economy things. So Doing things like delivery driving, uh, driving for Uber, you know, doing eBay sales online and just sort of going together for living. I think that when I started to see crypto as this new asset class, I was coming out of college. I didn't really know what I wanted to do or how I wanted to spend my time. But I definitely knew I didn't want to just dive into something that didn't feel good to me. And so I was very fortunate to have discovered crypto at a time when it started to become really interesting and exciting. You know, I'd like to say that I'm a very fast learner for any of the industries that I do become passionate about. So in the span of about three to six months, I went from buying my first Bitcoin and my first Ether to being heavily involved with a lot of different um, crypto projects, you know, helping to write their white papers, helping with communication strategies, being on the ground floor doing community building. I think it's really just been a, a grind. You know, I think when I stepped into the space in 2017, it was a very different world. I got rugged. I, you know, participated in a bunch of very bad projects. I learned a lot. I was getting paid for free and ended up never getting any payment for the work that I did. But slowly but surely, I kind of found that there was a, a science and a gel to this industry. I think being able to really center myself on new forward thinking tech platforms like Telegram, like Discord, starting to use more governance tools and really starting to be active across governance forums, I started to realize that there was more to this industry than just hopping on an exchange and buying tokens. And I think once I started to center my time in the space around building human connections and really trying to gain social capital for myself, I think that's when things went from zero to one. I think that the, te- the technology is really just a conduit for me to be able to do cool and exciting work.
0: Yeah, no, nice. Um, didn't know about the music thing. What was your first gig?
1: First gig was as a journalist. I was going to a bunch of music concerts, festivals, whatever you call it. I was doing artist interviews. I was helping with street team promotion, basically just helping to spread the good word of the artists that I know and love.
0: Any any of those artists you want to share? Or share what was your first show you went to?
1: First show sure I went to was an Avicii concert in 2011, uh, shortly after the level song had dropped. Um, got really big into sort of like the electronic community in college, started going to a lot of shows, like dubstep shows and, you know, different future bass and kind of uh, this really loud music. But um, it was a really fun culture and creative escape for me. And I honestly think that a lot of the reason why I am the way that I am today is because I stepped outside of this box of just being very uh, sheltered and sort of like the traditional lens of playing sports in college and coming from a very well-off family. And really just started to step outside and like discover who I was myself. And mm. so I went to school in Colorado. I'm from Philadelphia. And there was a, uh, a very intentional desire for me to get deeper into the music world. And I think that that creative outlet has played a big role in my journey today.
0: Yeah, nice. How was growing up in Philadelphia?
1: Pretty standard. I mean, I think that I'm very fortunate to have come from the roots that I did. You know, I'm very thankful for having a really good education around me. I'm very thankful for having parents that pushed me to be very disciplined in how I spent my time and effort. And so, um, you know, admittedly, I don't keep up too much with a lot of people that are from there, but I think that that upbringing was very, very directive, and I think that it allowed me to really explore whatever I wanted to do. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing I'd call out there is that I'm very thankful for the fact that my parents supported me in anything and everything that I did. You know, I don't think they had any idea that I I knew what I was doing, and frankly, I really didn't. But they were always supportive, and knowing that I was going to figure it out, they were letting me try try and fail time and time again. And I think over time. You know, I've landed in a position where I feel very confident about my future now, but for a long time, I really didn't know what that was going to look like. And so I think just having that support network around me of people who know that I would figure it out was extremely vital to me being able to be where I am today.
0: Yeah. And I, I saw your pinned tweet about paying off your parents' mortgage uh, thanks to crypto.
1: Yeah, it was uh, pretty epic. I mean, I don't like to talk about price stuff in crypto because I think it gets really muddy, but I wanted to show people that if you put in the time and effort in the space over a multi-time year horizon, there's really meaningful change that can happen here. And I found that crypto is unlike any industry in the world that if you spend three months like really meaningfully diving in, you know, the amount of opportunity that around you is truly unparalleled and we're still so early on that it really is just a conscious decision to, to really care about it and go all in. You know, it's not about just buying tokens or kind of being on Twitter looking to buy the next hot asset. I think you really have to immerse yourself in it. And I think that all of my success that's come from crypto has been a direct result of how deeply I've immersed myself in this culture.
0: Yeah, and I think that comes back to a work ethic, right? And uh, you yeah, know, if and um, yeah, and I think there's there's two sides of the work ethic, and if it being that involved, it becomes toxic. But then if you're that involved, you know, it's it's what you do, and you yeah, know, and then there's borderline questions about right? is this work or is this just what I love? Um, and and yeah, I I I think there's 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 always two sides to that um you know, to that conversation to that argument. Uh, but certainly in terms of the, well, as I mentioned, the speed of which this community and this world of Web3 is moving, uh, you know, you've, you've got <laughs> to keep up, right? Surely it gets a bit too much sometimes, no?
1: Yeah, I think um, for me, work and life are one and the same. I've come to peace with that decision, and I think that it's a very intentional conversation you have with yourself. You know, if you want to be fully immersed in this world, you need to be prepared to give up on activities that a lot of other people are doing in their free time. I think that's okay. I don't think it's for everyone, but I think it's really special when you find a good gel for it. And what I really pull out there is this ability to work for ownership is kind of the key enabler that I think allows this industry to be so special. You know, if this was an industry where I was coming in and just getting a higher hourly rate for working 12 to 14 hour days, I don't think I would be able to do it. But I think the fact that I can spend that time working for early stage communities, getting these new assets that represent high upside potential, you know, there are creative vehicles that allow us to be so much more driven in the time and energy we put in here. But as you start to navigate the space and as you start to develop this skill set, you can have such high leverage with your time that it's very difficult to see myself ever working in sort of the traditional lens and boxes again because there's just sort of this, this new architecture that's being built. And I think that's the single reason why people get so hooked once they dive in.
0: And yeah, it's been pretty well documented in terms of the future of work and gig economies. And you know, you mentioned it yourself. If you know, being an Uber driver, you know, there is the side hustle that runs, you know, deep across. I mean, across the entire world. Uh, it, but how are you seeing that translating into a, into a Web three world? And and you know, you mentioned it there, just in terms of you know the ownership piece in terms of your reward. But yeah, you know, is that the only thing that is really going to drive the adoption of of Web three? I think it's
1: the biggest thing. I always think that the humans are what's going to drive adoption the most. So I think you're far more likely to set up a MetaMask wallet if you're doing it with your best friend rather than having some giant celebrity with 20 million followers telling you to go download MetaMask. I think that for a long time, we think about adoption, we try and think about bringing the biggest influences in the world into the space and having them onboard everyone else. But I'm starting to realize that this fabric is a little bit different. I think that the way crypto scales is by having niche communities that are doing really meaningful work. And so when I think about how I'm spending my time I would much rather come and sit in a Discord like this with 36 people who are all highly engaged and active in this conversation, rather than spend my time trying to convince someone with millions of followers that crypto is the future that they need to activate their brand. Because the reality is, until someone gets the picture and they see it themselves, they're not going to put in the legwork to actually make it work. And so I'm far less concerned with onboarding the masses right now, far more concerned with onboarding people who really know, care, and love this space. And I think over time, those two lines will start to blur as people see that there's incredibly, incredibly meaning valuable to be created here, and the opportunities and on ramps to do so become easier and easier by the day.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that's sort of unfolding in front of our eyes, right? In terms of all these new platforms, uh, yeah, communities, DAOs, uh, like the entire sector is just, uh, I mean, blowing up in a really good way. Um, and, you know, taking that out in terms of maybe zooming it out to a more macro view of you know, crypto overall and obviously your, you know, your role within it, within the projects you're, you're involved with. Um, I, I guess sort of it's trying to, uh, if if possible, disconnect, uh, you know, the world of DAO, social tokens, creator economy, you know, with the overall, you know, price of Bitcoin and the price of ETH. And, uh, you know, it would be good just to get your view on like how you, and this isn't sort of, uh, I guess, uh, adjust to it, but I guess, you know, really just understand how those two forces and they are two forces, uh, you know, are, are reconciled in, in, in your world.
1: They're all interconnected. I think that by getting involved in this DAO landscape, you inherently have to get a little bit deep into sort of this whole crypto rabbit hole. So doing things like setting up a wallet, uh, having tokens, learning how to make a trade, all those things are very big prerequisites getting started right now. What I'm noticing is that we are starting to see a segmentation of crypto trader on Twitter being very different from someone who's becoming a meaningful contributor to many DAOs. What I mean by that is that you still hold the same assets. You both hold tokens. One of those people is far more focused on participation. The other one is far more focused on speculation. So what you see now is that a lot of these social clubs, so things like FWE, Bankless, Forefront, uh, Protein, you know, these assets are typically trading uncorrelated to the wider crypto movements. And so as they start to grow and succeed, you'll notice that they are performing higher than something like an asset like Bitcoin or Ether. And I think what we're going to see is that these different pockets and these different communities are going to have their own sort of waves around them. But uh, more broadly, you know, the reality is, is that the crypto market is still driven by a small handful of people that are doing much bigger forces than any of us can realize. I think that for us at the edge is being able to try and have ownership and influence over our all small communities is the best way that we can move forward and the more that we can be collaborative with others that are doing the same around us. I think the easier it is for these um, sectors. So something like a DeFi, something like NFTs, something like DAOs, to all kind of grow in tandem with one another, because it's no longer about how do I make the price of protein token go up? It's about how do I make the price of Web3 creator economy and of DAOs and social clubs in general go up? And the more collaborative those conversations become, I think the more people that get involved and the more successful these communities are as a whole
0: yeah no i love that and uh, yeah i think that just signals the importance of this uh, um, you know subset of the crypto you know landscape right uh, in terms of yes the base technology is blockchain and yes the way that it's written and uh, you know it's it's recorded is 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 the same as uh, you know trading uh, some crypto but ultimately, it's the value and the utility that actually provides that it. is going to outlast, you know, the, the the bulls and the bears, and the ups and the downs. Um, just uh, conscious of time, and um, wanted to, uh, I guess, sort of share if you had, and I know you've shared with us, and you know been an incredible part of our, you know, protein journey in terms of your advice and support. But in a more sort of uh, open forum. Any tips, recommendations, advice uh, for anybody who's looking to set up their own DAO or, you know, launch their own token?
1: Yeah, my tips or advice is just do it. I think that um, I see a lot of people get stuck in the ideation phase where they try and map out every single small nuance. The reality is the best projects are going to come out of happy accidents. You know, when we started FWB, I think we had no, no intention of it becoming what it is today. I think that we are optimistic that it could become something like this, but we had no clue what this was going to look like reality is you're going to learn more by doing it than you are about trying to map out the finer details so if this is something that's exciting to you my advice would be first and foremost spend time in communities such as this one getting educated on the culture you know it's a lot easier to navigate once you've seen it kind of be done in the flesh don't be afraid to fail you know i think that a lot of people need to run um, failed experiments before they find a successful one so if this is your first token or dao have a high expectation that it's probably going to go to zero that is okay but i think that the learnings you're going to have along the way will better influence your future projects so um get it off the ground i would know, say that we're in a very unprecedented bull market right now where things are going to be a lot easier on the surface but harder under the hood what i mean by that is that conceptually starting a DAO is going to be interesting and exciting you know you're probably going to have a period of time when people are really fascinated by it but your goal as a community operator is to focus on a long-term time horizon how do i keep people engaged over 6 to 12 months view and the way to do that is to do everything but focusing on token price i think that when you create a or a token the most immediate conversation is how to make the value of this what i've found is the more value you put back into the human side of things the less you talk about token price the less you worry about revenue and stuff like that Um, the easier it is for these things to sort of get off the ground get the ball rolling someone's starting to start it and do everything you can to get as many people in the door and working with you on a day-to-day basis and i think from there there's a highly likelihood that it becomes a success
0: no, again, fully subscribe to that, and um, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's a comment in the channel. Just dow it, right? Um, but <laughs> I think for um, I mean, for anybody listening, for anybody who's sort of interested and curious around this new world, and it is definitely a new world. Uh, there's 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 a load of amazing resource out there uh, in terms of how tos. Uh, you know podcasts uh, I mean everything is there so uh, you know dig in um, you know just really absorb your absorb your absorb absorb as much as you can and you know as Cooper just said uh, just jump in the rabbit hole spend some time in some of these discords uh, you know put your hand up and get involved in some of these DAOs. and um, you know then you can see actually what this is all about Cooper two final questions for you Um, what's the best way of someone contacting you
1: Discord. I mean, I think that Twitter is kind of my top level funnel, but Discord is where I try and stay up with all of my one-on-one relationships. This is basically my new version of email. So um, if you're listening to this, Koopa Troopa number 9799. You know, I tried for a very long time to answer every single Discord message that I have. I would ask that if you're listening to this and you send me a message, please have patience. Um, we don't need to do a call for me to be influential in what you're working on. So if you have ideas or questions about something, and you want to have a conversation, I'm always open and excited to that. And I look forward to having a very wonderful asynchronous conversation about what you're working on. There we go.
0: <clears throat> Expect the DMs to flood in. Um, final question for you, Cooper. Who would you like to hear from on the show? Who's sort of like you're really excited about? It's been making some interesting moves out in the uh, Web3 world right now.
1: Yeah, if you guys could get Jack Carlo on the podcast, I think it'd be pretty cool.
0: OK, add him to the list, man. <laughs> um. This has been amazing, Cooper. Thank you so much uh, for your time. Um, fascinating to hear a bit more of your story uh, and um, yeah, wish you every success in in, in where it goes. Uh, so if we can all give Cooper, uh, you know, some love uh, in the chat, we'd appreciate it. Um, also, thanks for everybody's questions. I think we covered most of them. Sorry if we didn't. Um, you now know Cooper's Discord handle, so you can ask him directly. Thanks so much for coming. Uh, Cooper, thanks again, mate. Uh, This has been amazing and um, yeah, that's it guys. Cheers.